0: A reading from Job. Job said, Today also my complaint is bitter. His hand is heavy despite my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his dwelling. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would learn what he would answer me and Understand what he would say to me. He would contend with me in the greatness of his power. No, but he would give me heed. There, an upright person could reason with him, and I should be acquitted forever by my judge. If I go forward, he is not there, or backward, I cannot perceive him. On the left he hides, and I cannot behold him. I turn to the right, but I cannot see him. God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me. If only I could vanish in darkness, and thick darkness would cover my face. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people.
1: A reading from the letter to the Hebrews. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before him, no creature is hidden but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who, in every respect, has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people.
2: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own, and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last. Will be first. The Gospel of the Lord.
0: Praise to you, Lord
3: May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to Thee, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. Please be seated. In today's Gospel, we heard a seemingly simple conversation between Jesus and a man who we don't know, a conversation that lasted probably about two minutes. A man came out of the crowd and he kneeled in front of Jesus and he asked, What do I need to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, uh, Follow the commandments. And he names them Don't lie, be honest, don't commit murder, honor your father and mother. And the man says, Well, i followed all of those since I was young. And then in a poignant moment, a detail that's only given in Mark's version of this story, Jesus looks at the man, and he loves him. Can you imagine the power of that? Have you ever been seen and loved? So we know that by this detail that something potent is about to come next. And Jesus says to him, you lack one thing, sell everything you own and give the money to the poor and then come and see me and you can follow me. And the man was shocked, it says, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Maybe he came back later. We don't hear about this man again in any of the gospels, but the gospel story leaves us here with his broken heart, with his grief. Maybe that's significant for us. Jesus was saying to him, you have to give away all your wealth in order to follow him. Jesus was telling him that what stood before between him and eternal life was his own choice. The man wanted a law that would grant him an inheritance just that would come to him. But Jesus is telling him that his experience of God's presence, his experience of eternal life, involves his own participation and availability. The story is here for us here and now today. The stories of Jesus have an entire landscape of meaning. They're not a yellowed, flat photograph that we can look at once and take a literal meaning from it. It's like standing on a bluff and where you can see a huge, vast array of towns and desert and forest. It involves infinite ways to explore the story. You can meet these stories at different times in your life and find new and intensely relevant meaning among them. So let's go into the story and take a deeper look so that we can see how it might apply to us. Jesus is educating this man about a choice. He's seen him, he knows him, he gets him, and he loves him. And he's offering him the empowerment of knowing about a choice that he has. And we can be sure that Jesus has also and does also see us and loves us and wants us to know the nature of this choice because when we know the nature of it, we can make a clearer decision. So first of all, the choice is about eternal life. The man is asking, how does he get eternal life? And the Greek word here is "ionios." And that can mean eternal in time, as in forever. But it also can mean eternal in quality. In other words, that which lasts, as opposed to that which is brief or transitory or fleeting or ultimately doesn't matter. It's about the reality of God's life in and with us, the experience of God's life in us, not just as an idea or a belief that we hold to, but the entering of it, the living into it, the being palpably fed by it. It refers to a quality of consciousness. So Jesus is telling this man that his attachment to his wealth, his preoccupation with things that are transitory or fleeting, is blocking him from experiencing what Jesus later calls to the disciples, the treasures of heaven. We too have to make space for the experience of God's presence. What in our life is getting in the way of our experience of God with us? Of experiencing that we are indeed walking with God. I remember in physics we learned the law that two objects cannot occupy the same space at the same time. Many of us have learned this at seminary in our, in the student housing apartment building, our underground parking, offers two spaces in between two pillars with exactly one inch in between all of those things. And those pillars are wrapped in cardboard and tape and they're pretty scruffed up. There needs to be space to notice God's presence and to engage with it. There needs to be an opening. We need to open the doors and reach out with our free will. Have you ever tried to talk to a kid who's engaged in a video game? Hello. I have. Have you ever tried to talk to someone who was intensely engaged in a sporting event on television? uh, The house is on fire. I'm going to just call the fire department myself because theres it can't be seen. There's nothing else that can come in. The space of attention is completely encompassed and full. If we're clinging to something that is fleeing and transitory in our life, and we're holding on to it, whether it's our wealth or our busyness or our commitment to our own personal ease and comfort or pleasure, if that's taking up all the space, then how are we to receive what is present for us? And I want to say very clearly that choosing this, that making this choice about what we attend to in life doesn't make us bad people. It's not necessarily about breaking the commandments. The man says he's obeyed all the commandments. It's just important for us to know what choice we're making and what the ramifications and results of those choices will be. This is the gift of that story, that Jesus sees us and loves us and wants to be clear about the choice that we have, about the incredible gift of the fullness of life in God that is available to us, walking with God, in the midst of our troubles. The question is, what are we holding on to that is getting in the way of our receiving this? What choice will we make? In today's reading, we hear the lament of others in the past experiencing the angst that life is hard. Job speaks of a bitter complaint of groaning. In the psalm, we hear about feeling forsaken and finding no rest. Life is hard. We've all experienced these things. We worry about our relationships, or if we're good enough, or the mistakes we regret in the past. We worry about the suffering of the world and our fears of violence and a catastrophic environmental event, nuclear disaster, fires in our hills. We worry about our children, and we ache deeply when we hear about things like the family in New York who lost four daughters and three sons-in-laws in one accident. Our choice to make space for practices that bring us closer to God doesn't mean that life is going to become free of challenges. But with God, walking with God, making space for God, we can also experience, at the same time, surrounding and holding those experiences, the treasures of heaven, a new freedom, a strength that holds and supports us the light of the joy of the Holy Spirit in the midst of our troubles that surrounds us palpably. We feel it, a peace that passes understanding, a love and a compassion that isn't a commandment to try to obey, but a love and a compassion that is a free-flowing organic movement and power in our being through God to help us contribute and serve this world that desperately needs that love and compassion. As Jesus said to his disciples later after the wealthy man left, in God all things are possible. So we have a choice. What choice are we making and how will it affect our life? I'm going to close with a specific concrete example of a way that this choice might look day to day. One of the sources of wealth that we all have far more valuable than possessions and money, is the wealth of consciousness, of awareness, of our attention. What do we direct our attention to every day? How much time do we spend in quiet, listening for God and making space to notice and to learn to notice the subtle nuance of God's presence? Are we available? Are our doors open? There's one way in which our attention is held, and that is through the habits of our mind, our mental habits. Our mind tends to think the same thoughts over and over and over again, and sometimes thoughts that aren't very helpful, and sometimes thoughts that are negative, and thoughts that bring us worry, and thoughts that make us self-absorb. The mind is this wonderful, powerful tool that we've been given, but it makes a terrible master, and we become a slave to it. It's also a really difficult time in history to be masters of our own attention. Tim Wu, who is a Columbia University law professor, recently wrote this amazing book, very fascinating, called The Attention Merchants. And in it, he describes the way our mental space, the wealth of our attention, is constantly being hijacked in our very overstimulating, media-filled world technology-filled world. He says, you go to your computer and you have the idea you're going to write just one email. And you sit down and suddenly an hour goes by or two hours and you don't know what happened. Companies ranging from Google to news organizations have found ways to grab our attention, to know what we're interested in and pull our attention to it, package it, and then make money off it by selling it to advertisers who quite literally hypnotize us with images and phrases into thinking that what we need for our happiness is transitory passing things that we can buy to have more power or be more loved. So both in our mental habits and in our overstimulating media-filled world, Our attention is grabbed by things that is transitory. And our spending time deliberately with God in our prayers, in silence, in other practices, it matters. And again, it's not about being a bad person or breaking the law or doing something wrong. It's simply about having a choice. In her poem called Attention, Mary Oliver says, this is the core of the secret, Attention is the beginning of devotion. In our lives, we will be and we are devoted to something. But what will it be? What is our choice? With great love and great vision of who we are, and out of the holy potential of our lives, Jesus is holding out a gift of understanding about our choice concerning inhabiting the fullness of the life that we've been given, the power of love, the fulfillment of living in that power and through that power and letting it inhabit us and power us. Just like we teach our children about making choices for their health and their fulfillment and their great happiness and freedom that we desire for them. Jesus has looked at each of us in the eye, in the midst of our pain, and seen us. And in that powerful love, He's telling us about our choice. And we can ask ourselves, what choice will I make? And what effect will that have on the destiny and experience of my life? Amen.